Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com. I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. UFC heads to Las Vegas once again this weekend for an event at the UFC Apex, headlined by Tyrone Woodley versus Gilbert Burns. We, of course, will be breaking down that fight as well as our three favorite fights on the card as part of our Fights, Dogs, and Parlays portion of the show, where we'll also give you an underdog in a parlay that you should consider gambling on, and our record for that speaks for itself, so make sure that you check out those picks. But before we get to those picks, we also are going to be interviewing three of the fighters on the card. First, we'll be interviewing Chris Gutierrez as he gets ready for his bout with Vince Morales, and then we will be interviewing Brandon Royval and Tim Elliott, who are facing off with one another in an absolutely exciting flyweight showdown. So make sure you tune in for all those interviews and all that great content. But before we do, I have to remind you, this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast is brought to you by Ladder. Have you tried like 600 different supplements and pre-workouts and you're tired of looking for the perfect one? Well, you're not alone. In fact, LeBron James was there during the NBA Finals, cramping up, feeling awful. And if you've ever cramped up during jiu-jitsu or MMA, you know it is the absolute worst. But that's why LeBron teamed up with Arnold Schwarzenegger to create Ladder and change the way that supplements are made. Their supplements have carefully been crafted by top scientists for high-level performance, quality, and most important to me, taste. I've been throwing their tropical fruit pre-workout in before my quarantine training sessions, and I feel better than ever. They're also third-party NSF certified, which means I can count on knowing that only the best stuff is going into my body. Now, they want to help you unlock the best in any situation, and that means access to special offers and expert advice, and you can do all of that at ladder.sport. That's L-A-D-D-E-R dot S-P-O-R-T, and make sure while you're there you use promo code BETTEREVERYDAY for 30% off your whole order. Ladder brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. This is Daniel Gumby Freeman with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com, and today I have the pleasure of speaking to Chris Gutierrez, who fights Vince Morales at UFC Woodley versus Burns. So, Chris, I know not everybody knows this, but actually after your last win down in Uruguay, you, you tore your ACL in the last round, wound up winning the fight. Give us an update. How's the ACL feeling? The ACL is great. I'm ready. It's completely healed over because the other thing I was wondering about is, you know, that that happened in August of 2019. Here we are. We're only May of 2010. That's, you know, roughly a little bit over nine months. Was the recovery time really quick for that? Did did you get surgery immediately after? Yeah, I got surgery like two to like two to three weeks after the after the fight. And, and how long did it take you to get back into training? Did you get back to training right away, or was this something that, that took you a little bit of time? No, man, I I went through a little, like, depression, you know, state at first, but uh, I got myself out of it, and, uh, I, uh, man, I was committed, and I was, I mean, within within a week after surgery, I was back in the gym. You know, I was lifting weights. I was doing the stretches I had to do for my, you know, my operator's legs. But uh, within... Within two and a half to three months, I was back in the gym, like, sparring. And, uh, you know, I would uh, – yeah, man, I was determined I wasn't going to be out for too long. 
So, so you said that you were you were in the gym, kind of in a depressive state, watching stuff happen. Were you in your actual, you know, training gym? Were you in your MMA gym or your jujitsu gym, or were you just, you know, more at like a, you know, Planet Fitness or an LA Fitness or something like that? Both. I was I was lifting weights. I was I had I was, I took my physical therapy very serious, and uh, I was doing a lot of physical therapy. I mean, I got super strong. Like I was lifting, you know, a good amount of weights that, like, you know, I was. Even myself, I was noticed like, man, I'm getting a little heavy. I'm getting, I'm getting really strong, but it's not, you know, not good weight. I was just getting really strong, and uh, I started getting back to, uh, you know, my training gym, Factory X, and I just started sparring, started grappling, and everything. I mean, I was close. I was being smart. I wasn't just going 100 miles per hour. You know, I was, I was being smart. I had the right training partners, and I would do a lot of drilling. But man, I was getting after it. And you said you, you felt a lot stronger. You could notice yourself getting, you know, bigger. You know, you could probably see it on the scale, too. Are there any residual effects from that, or are you back into your regular fighting shape? Oh, I mean, I've always been a little bit strong for my for my weight and my size. But, I, uh, yeah, I mean, some of that weight, some of that uh, strength stays. But uh, I'm, I'm back to my normal weight, um, you know. And uh, all I can say is, man, I'm ready. I'm excited we're excited too. Now, I, I did see an article earlier too saying that you were looking for a June return. When they came with at you with like, you know, it's the end of May, it's almost June, but they gave you the end of May. Were were you extra excited about that, or were did you need a little bit more time to get ready? No, I was excited. I was I was I was already kind of in a camp because I was helping my friend uh, Brandon uh, Royville, who also is on the card. Uh, you know, he was getting ready for his contender series in June. And since I had a fight scheduled in June, well, you know, we were aiming for June. I was already in camp and I'm not a person that really takes, you know, off season. I, I, I train year round and, uh, you know, I, I stay in, in shape. And so when the opportunity came, you know, I, I, uh, you know, our coach is really big on, on, you know, if you, of course, you know, if you, if you stay ready, you don't got to get ready. So that's, that's my, my mentality for the game, and that's how I, I live life, really. And, and how has been peaking with Brandon Royval right at the same time? Because he's fighting Tim Elliott. We're actually going to talk to both of those fighters a little bit later on the show. You, you said, you know, you were getting ready for a fight with him as well. It, has it been an added bonus of both of you peaking at the same time? Well, you know, of course, you know, anytime you're on the card with one of your, your teammates, you know, and a, a friend, it's... You know, he just both bring good vibes, and I don't know. I don't know if you really know Brandon, man. He's a he's a character for sure, and man, he's always got positive energy and just always vibing really good. And we vibe good together, man. And so it's it's nice to be able to see his hard work finally pay off, man. Because if anyone deserves it, man, he does, man. That guy, is, he works his ass off, man. And so I'm I'm glad to be able to see his, you know, the fruits of his labor finally pay off and then for me to be able to jump back in honestly man i'm blessed to be where i'm at that's all i can really say well that that is absolutely exciting but let's talk about your fight a little bit too now you're, you're fighting vince morales coming on a two-fight win streak yourself you know give us the scouting report on this this fight with morales how do you see this one going i mean i think he's a tough opponent i think it's a good fight for both um you know but he's got holes in his games that i see and, uh, my, you know, my job is to exploit them, and that's what I plan on doing. And we're, we're looking forward to it. Now, before I go, I do want to ask you real quickly, do you got a prediction for us? How do you see this one going? Uh, I don't have a prediction. I just know my hand's going to be raised. And I, can, 
I can't give you guys too much. <laughs> but we certainly respect that, and we'll just have to tune in and see what goes down. Once again, fans, this was Chris Gutierrez, who fights Vince Morales at UFC Woodley versus Burns, coming up this Saturday. Uh, Chris, thanks so much for the time, man. We really appreciate it. Thank you, man. Thank you for having me. And that interview with Chris Gutierrez is brought to you by the Fight Call app. The Fight Call app is going to change the way that you play daily fantasy sports for MMA because they are made by fight fans for fight fans, and it allows you to be the best person and actually win. You don't have to worry about salary caps or getting you know outplayed by somebody landing a couple more jabs than the other. Instead, you just pick who wins, how they win, and in what round they win. The person who knows the much wins the cash. So make sure you check them out at GetFightCall.com. You can get updates about when the app is going to launch. And meanwhile, you can also win a free $25 gift card, which they're giving away one a week until it launches. So make sure to check them out at GetFightCall.com. This is Daniel Gumby Freeland with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com. And today I have the pleasure of speaking to Brandon Royval, who fights Tim Elliott at UFC Woodley versus Burns. So Brandon, I want to start by talking about the fact that you were all queued up to fight on the Contender Series this summer. They had an opponent for you. You were getting ready for that fight. You were in training camp. They call you early for a chance on this card. Take us through finding all of that out. Um. So, yeah, my manager FaceTimed me and uh, like immediately knew that I had a fight in the UFC because he'd normally just shoot a text message or call me. So FaceTime me and like I could just see it in his face. Somebody saw me like uh, as soon as we like connected, he had like a big smile on his face, and I was like, "Oh, you shit me, right?" And uh, he's like, "No, not at all." And I was like, "Who am I fighting?" He goes, "Tim Elliott," and I was like, "Perfect." And uh, I was like, "When?" He's like, "In like next week." <laughs> I was like, "All right, cool. I'll be ready." Yeah, and and was it easier to say yes to that fight? I mean, obviously you're gonna say yes to the UFC anyway, but is it easier saying yes to that fight knowing that you were pretty much already in a training camp for for June? Yeah, yeah, no, that's exactly. I, I've been training, like uh, we're in the quarantine or whatever in Colorado, but I've been training somewhere, anywhere, pretty much this whole entire time. So I've been getting it in, getting work as much as possible. Um, yeah, just as much as possible. So it's been great. And, and you mentioned too when he said the name Tim Elliott, you said perfect. Tim Elliott, a, a guy who won the Ultimate Fighter, he he got a title fight against Demetrius Johnson. He's fought seemingly all of the who's who in the the flyweight division. What are your thoughts on having such a big-name opponent to kick it off? Um, I couldn't be any happier about that, man. I have, I think somebody was telling me he's ranked number 11. And so right off the bat, man, giving myself a chance to be number 11 or even like somewhat in that top presence is just a great opportunity in itself, you know? So I'm just grateful for the opportunity. And uh, the name itself is a good way to kind of catapult myself. Uh, ride Tim Elliott's coattails and ride what he's accomplished so far would be a great way to kind of start my UFC career, right? For for sure. And, and I also want to talk about the stylistic part of that matchup too because, you know, it, it seems like his style and your style is set for a very exciting kind of fight. You know, he's he's a guy who's incre- incredibly uh, fun to watch and scrambles. He's got, in addition to having really good scrambles, he's got really good wrestling. I, I know that you particularly love your groundwork or have shown us some really awesome groundwork over in LFA. What are sort of your thoughts on how this fight takes place? Um, I hope it takes place on the feet. I'm sure he's going to shoot on me, but I'm not positive. Uh, but I hope it takes place on the feet. Um, I know he's a little bit wild on the feet. I like that fact. I'm a little bit crazy on the feet too. So um, I'm sure that as far as as far as far like this fight goes, man, I, I'm trying to bonus collect today, man. I'm trying to go out there and 
make an extra 50k out there if that's performance of the night or fight of the night whatever it is i'm going out there to put on a show man um i know i'm an exciting fighter to watch uh and i know he's an exciting fighter to watch the flyweight division uh gets a lot little bit of a not not that much love man honestly so i want to just go out there and just set the record straight that those flyweights are fucking exciting and we're out there to put on a show you know Absolutely, and and I think that this is, like you said, a good matchup for that, but I do want to go back to what you said before where, where you said you preferred this fight to take place on the feet. Is it because you see a bigger advantage there, or do you see yourself as more of a stand-up fighter? Because, you know, you look at your record and you look at your, your big wins in LFA, you know, your title wins in LFA, and most of them are by submission. Yeah, I was actually re- – so I was reading this, like, thing. So they've, they've been putting articles and stuff about me or whatever since this fight, which is awesome. But I was reading it saying that, like, Brandon's a ground fighter. Brandon's a, Brandon's looking to get this fight to the ground, this, this, and that. I've never shot a fucking shot my whole entire career. People, The reason I have submissions is because people shoot on me. I don't have – like, check out my submissions. And none of them are, like, uh, head and arm chokes or any of that. They're all submissions right off my back because I've never shot on someone my whole entire – my whole entire MMA career. I might have one takedown my whole entire career, and that's because he was taking me down. I reversed him and got a takedown. Uh, so as far as that, like I have the advantage on the feet. As far as me and him on the feet, I'm way more technical than him. I'm a little bit of a wild card too. As far as like I'll throw some spinning stuff. I have a lot of spinning elbows uh, in my fights, a lot of stuff like that. But that being said, is I'm a I'm a striker through and through. Like I like striking. I like banging on the feet. That's what I do. Like I, it's I got a lot of hype for uh, being a jujitsu guy and like taking fights to the ground and stuff. But I've never shot a goddamn shot. I've never. I have one successful takedown my whole entire MMA career. I think. Maybe. <laughs> well, th- that's certainly a, one way to get, you know, notoriety of, of being on the ground is shooting takedowns. But I, I will say that, you know, from what I've watched, you know, that, that omoplata to triangle to armbar combination you used back and forth, back and forth in a couple of your fights. I mean, I, th- I think makes you a pretty accomplished grappler in your own right, too. Is there a reason you feel is there a reason you feel like you're, you're really successful off your back when you're grappling, particularly? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think it's just who I looked up to when I was younger. Uh, when I was younger, like, right when I started, I was 16 years old, uh, right when I started, the champions and, like, the, the my heroes of, like, MMA were, like, BJ Penn, uh, Anderson Silva. Um, I looked up to, I, like, had a big, like, Nate Diaz and Nick Diaz. I liked them a lot. Like, I grew up, like, watching the, like, those are my favorite fighters. Those are the best, those are the best fighters to watch, too. Like, I wasn't looking up to, like, the wrestlers, like, no offense to any wrestlers, but, like, I was looking to take the fight to the ground and then do a little bit of ground and pound and get through 15 minutes. I was looking at the people finishing fights. So all my, all my heroes, like all, everybody I looked up to, Shinya Yoki is a big hero of mine. Uh, or someone I shaped my career off of is just like, they're all spectacular on the feet and then great off their back. And their jujitsu is amazing. Like that's, and that's how I kind of like saw MMA going when I was younger. And that's how I started to shape myself early on to the career. Little did I know every champion in the goddamn world was going to be a, uh, an accomplished wrestler. Otherwise, I would have took wrestling in high school. But, but at the time, the jiu-jitsu was thriving. So I was like, all right, I'm just going to do jiu-jitsu, man, and choke out a bunch of wrestlers. <laughs> and and you, you do seem to have run into a couple of wrestlers, too, on, on the regional circuit, right? Like Casey Kenny's got some really good grappling as well. And, and there's other names on there that, you know, maybe some people wouldn't know. Do you feel like the, the UFC has turned that way in the flyweight division, too, that they've got a ton of wrestlers? I think as far as, like, if you want to be, like, like if this was a no-limit fight or whatever it is, like a no-time-limit fight, 
then the wrestlers probably wouldn't be as thriving there. But as far as like 15 minutes, it's a competition. You know what I'm saying? It turns into a little bit of competition compared to a fight. And wrestlers thrive in 15 minutes. 15 minutes, you can take people down and wrestle them for 15 minutes and have a good fight. You know, or and win a fight. Maybe not have a good fight because it's just boring. But uh, <laughs> but that being said, is so I think that's why it's kind of like turned that way. And I think that's the, the I think being flyweight for 125ers come a lot of wrestlers i think that's why we get a lot of no love right there because a lot of them are just fucking wrestling their way out and uh i don't know i don't know i always shit on wrestlers i should probably stop doing that but that being said is <laughs> that being said is uh, yeah it's a, it's a great it's, a, it's something that i just skipped out when i was younger because i thought jujitsu was the way to go like so well i'm gonna ask you to shit on wrestlers a little bit more than too because you know you, you said you know flyweight seems like it's got a lot of wrestlers do you think you're the one to come in there and sort of knock those wrestlers out of place. Do you think you're the one who's going to bring excitement to the flyweight division? I made a career off knocking wrestlers out of their place, man. I've made a career off every, I think every single person I fought was a collegiate wrestler and uh, they're shooting for their goddamn dear life. And uh, they're either going to, they're either going to win a 15 minute decision or 25 minute decision and impress nobody. Are they going to get choked out right away? Are they going to have to fucking stand and bang with me? And none of them want to do that. They're all shooting in. Well, that that's certainly exciting for me to hear that we're going to see a little bit more uh, finishing power in the flyweight division. Now, I do want to ask you before you get away, too, uh, there's a rumored title fight coming in your division now that you're in the UFC flyweight division. between It's a rematch between Joseph Benavidez and Davidson Figueredo. I was wondering if you could just give us your thoughts on that fight and uh, how you saw the first fight going and how you see the next fight going. I think I think as far as like everybody is just like everybody wants Joseph Benavides to win that belt, and that's how I feel too, man. You want him to win the belt because he's just such a good guy, and like he's done so much for the flyweights, and like I want him to win that belt, but fuck, what is it, Figueroa, Figueroa, or I can't say it right, but he's a motherfucker, man. That guy brings it, so he's a beast, man. So I don't really have any predictions on how that would go. I almost like I don't know. I want I want uh, Joseph Benavides to win it because just pure love of the like. Man, the flyweight division, so much he's done for the sport. And goddamn, it'd be great if he got a UFC belt, wouldn't it? But uh, as far as far as that goes, Figueroa is dangerous, man. And, like, yeah, so I don't know. I really have no prediction on that. All right, well, if you're not going to give us a prediction on that, I am going to ask you for a prediction on your own fight. When it goes down this upcoming weekend against Tim Elliott, how do you see this one ending? Um, I have no predictions, man, because, like I said, uh, uh like I, me and him both are kind of have a little bit of like a uh like he likes submissions i i like submissions i like striking i don't i mean he i guess he likes striking uh but i don't know i don't have a i don't necessarily have a prediction because this shit can go anywhere man and that every time i i don't know it's just i'm a wild fighter and he's definitely a wild fighter so i don't know i don't know how it goes i hope i could just put a fucking clinic on him on the feet but that being said is i'm sure he's gonna shoot so I don't know. Uh, man, I hope I catch. I, I hope I catch the triangle. How, how about that for you? <laughs> I like it. All yeah. right. Well, we'll be looking forward to it. However, it does end. Once again, fans, this is Brandon Royval who fights Tim Elliott at UFC Woodley versus Burns. Brandon, thanks so much for the time, man. We appreciate it. All right, you too, brother. Peace. And that interview with Brandon Royval is brought to you by Battle Clan Gear. Visit BattleClanGear.com and make sure to use promo code TURTLEUP10, that's T-U-R-T-L-E-U-P-1-0, for 10% off all of your order on phenomenal grappling gear. This stuff did not only look sharp, but it feels great. I roll in it personally when, when you're able to get out of quarantine and roll, right? But 
in the meantime, stock up on your, your gear because let me tell you something. This thing is going to end. You're going to want to show up to the gym wearing some new duds, and this is the stuff that you are going to want to be wearing. So visit right now, BattleClanGear.com. This is Daniel Gumby reeling with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com, and today I have the pleasure of speaking to Tim Elliott, who fights Brandon Royval at UFC Woodley versus Burns. So, Tim, I want to start by just talking quickly about the 125-pound weight class, because you've seen literally everything going on in the class. You were there pretty much when it got started. You saw the Ultimate Fighter. You saw them building it up. You got the title fight off the Ultimate Fighter. But you've also seen some pretty shitty things, such as, you know, like it talks of it closing down, them trading away the championship. What sort of this whole roller coaster of the 125-pound division looked like to you, and where do you sort of feel like it fits now? Uh, I mean, there's been so many ups and downs, and then, uh, you know, it looked like the division was going to go away and almost before it really got started. And then uh, Henry Cejudo came down, and, you know, uh, TJ came down and kind of kind of revamped the division, and then, you know, uh, TJ getting beat and then uh, popping for steroids, and then Cejudo uh, – vacating and leaving the division um you know now it's kind of wide open again so definitely had some some big ups and downs but uh at the same time like any of that stuff that you're talking about whether it be positive or negative it's a publicity for the little guys so uh it's all good since uh, at least people are talking about it that that's true it's one of those you know no publicity is bad publicity pieces um and, and let's talk about you know you said it's wide open there is a rumored title fight going the rematch between joseph benavidez and davidson figueredo do you feel like that's the right decision by the UFC to make that fight again? Or do you think maybe somebody else deserved another shot against Figueredo in there? Uh, I think that's probably the smart uh, fight. Um, Figueredo missed weight. Um, they clashed heads in the fight, kind of changed the, the direction of the fight. Uh, Joe B's been in the game a long time. Uh, so he deserves the, the rematch. I think. Um, the only other person that would be around would be like Brandon Moreno or, um, you know, that, that Russian, that, that Askar Askarov that I just fought. Uh, but no, I think this is the right call, and uh, you know, maybe good for the division. Somebody like Joe winning the title, or um, you know, he's been around a long time, and he's 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 had all these uh, accolades in the sport except for the belt. So, um, you know, hopefully he can go out there and get that that chance and 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 make that happen. And and, and you fought both of these guys too, right? Like, how, how crazy is it when you look back at, at your you know list of fighters? And it includes, you know, like the all-time GOAT in, in Demetrius Johnson and both of these guys fighting for the title. Yeah, and, you know, guys like John Dotson. Um, but, you know, um, that's, there's just so many good guys, um, so many good guys in the division, even even with, like, there not being a, a high amount of number right now. There's there's a lot of uh, a lot of really good guys. And, and let's let's talk about your matchup too, because while the guy is not all that heralded, you know he is quite a threat. Brandon Royval coming to the UFC by way of LFA. Do do you know much about him? Had you heard much about him before this fight got booked? Yeah, I've uh, I've actually known him for a while. I've trained with you know Mark Montoya is one of one of the coaches that I go and work with. Um, you know he's also the coach of you know the, the guy that got me into the UFC, James Krause. Um, so I've trained with Brandon. I've seen him come up. I know he's been with Mark Montoya since he was 16. Um, he's a young, dangerous kid. Honestly, this isn't this isn't my first choice of fights. Uh, they called an offer Jordan Espinoza. Uh, he's on a two-fight losing streak as well. That's the fight that I wanted. Um, I accepted the fight, and then I uh, got the call back saying that he turned it down. So I was a little bit upset. They turned it down, and then uh, two days later they called, which was you know yesterday, and offered me Brandon Raval. 
and uh, you know, totally different fighter, a more dangerous fighter. Uh, you know, not, doesn't really benefit me to fight Brandon as much as it does for Brandon to fight me. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I got I got a child and and uh, a house, and I'm trying to make a family, so I need the money. And what about the the matchup? You know, obviously the fact that he's been in the UFC longer helps. But what about the matchup with Jordan Espinoza? Did you like better? And also, just out of curiosity, why do you think he decided he didn't like that fight? Um, matchup wise, I like it better because I I I tend to know what Jordan is good at. He's got good wrestling. He's explosive. He's fast. Um, I've they've got footage to watch on him. I've studied tape with him before. But uh, Brandon, his his fights is a lot of first round fights. He has a lot of weird knockouts and weird finishes and uh he just he has a little bit more of a danger factor i know that uh jordan espinoza his game plan is going to be try to get a takedown and try to get some kind of front headlock submission that's that's his game plan um brandon Roy Ball, on the other hand just kind of goes out there and wings it he's wild and unorthodox and uh you know i like to be the more wild and unorthodox guy and uh, i don't know in the Roy Ball fight i don't know if i'll be that guy and is that do you feel like that's probably going to be the first time that that's a true statement that you're not the I mean your your Instagram handle is awkward MMA for Christ's sakes like do you feel like it's the first time you're going to be the less awkward guy in there? Quite possibly, quite possibly. <laughs> so I, I got to ask you now you know like you said it, it's hard to to game plan for a guy who's you know got a lot of one round fights and you know maybe not footage for every single one of his fights. How do you see this fight going? How, what What is the way that you see a path to victory for Tim Elliott? Uh, I know he comes out with, like, big marching knees and uh, spinning stuff. So um, my game plan is just every time he throws that long knee, uh, put him on his butt. Every time he spins, put him on his butt. Just just make him pay for doing the awkward things that he does. And then um, not scrambling with him on the ground. I, I like to scramble. I like to get these wild uh, exchanges. But uh, this guy thrives there, and I feel like I need to use my uh, – my momentum and like you know my cage knowledge to to slow this kid down and, and just fight a smarter fight so we're gonna see a, a smarter more tame tim elliott which is a pretty wild prediction in the first place now i, I gotta ask you you know like for, you you said you got a house now you said you're looking forward to all that kind of stuff but you're also talking about having a tamer fight do you see this as a fight i, I mean a lot of people have it pegged as a fight for fight of the night uh yeah i mean that's the biggest thing for me is uh, the, my style of fighting. I, I know like at any given day I could beat any of these guys, but also with that style comes like all these guys could beat me too. So um, with that and that style, and if I want to keep that, you know, that style that I like to fight, the only way I'm going to stay in the UFC is uh, by being exciting. So uh, these are the fights that I want. This is an exciting fight. And uh, this would be my fifth or sixth bonus check from the UFC. And it's, it's the only way I've ever really made any money fighting. That, that that makes a lot of sense, and I do have to ask though, because like you said, you, this one you're you're fighting a little bit smarter. Do you feel like you have to fight smarter because of the recent run? I mean, you you're coming off two losses to two guys in the top five, which is obviously you know forgivable. But do you feel like you have to fight smarter too? Um, I don't know about smarter, but I either I either have to win this I have to win this fight uh, handily, or I need to go out and just have such a crazy performance that it doesn't matter if I win or lose, I'm still going to get a bonus and I'm still going to keep my job. So it's, it's either going to be fight smarter or, uh, you know, up the ante and, and try to get paid. All right. Well, whatever one of those it is, we are sure looking forward to it either way. Once again, fans, this is Tim Elliott who fights Brandon Royval on Saturday at UFC Woodley versus Burns. Tim, thanks so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. Well, we hope you enjoyed those interviews, especially the most recent one with Tim Elliott. 
Uh, I'm once again Daniel Gumby Freeland. I'm joined here by Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, I, I know you're not a big flyweight guy, but after listening to Brandon Roy Vaughn and Tim Elliott talk about this exciting fight, you got to be at least a little pumped for it, right? Yeah, not a big flyweight guy, but I am in theory excited for that particular fight. Though I do want to know what the large picture is when it comes to that flyweight and now really even 135, which I am a huge fan of that division, but with Cejudo recently retiring, I don't even know what's going on at 135 anymore, and I definitely don't know what's going on at 125, but yes, that is a bright spot in the 125 division, that match. Yeah, and and how weird is it to, I'm glad you brought up the 135-pound division, because you go to the UFC rankings page now, and you've got blank champions for 25 and 35, because they removed Cejudo, and I don't know if Cejudo's really retiring, or if this is a big play for more money, or a bigger fight, or some bullshit like that, but... Regardless of the situation, you see nobody at the top in either of those two. There's a rumored flyweight title fight between Benavidez and Figueredo for the rematch. Mm. It's crazy because that means 35 is more uncertain than 25, right? Like 35 is the crazier division right now, which is nuts. I'm a big fan of, not to completely change the subject of flyweights, I would love to see a tournament of 35ers. You've got eight guys there at least who have claimed to be either at a title shot or one fight away from a title shot. You know, put Aljamain Sterling in there. Put Marlon Marias in there. Put, you know, Corey Sandhagen in there. Put Peter Yan in there. Put put Cruz in there. Shit, I don't care about putting Cruz in there. Put put Jose Aldo in there. That's six that I named off the top of my head. Add Pedro Munoz and Frankie Edgar, who are just booked for a fight in July. That is a crazy good tournament right there. Yeah, I mean, 135 is stacked, and there's so many good fighters in that division. I did see some rumors, take them for what they're worth, fake news or not. You can never really trust Twitter, but it is the best place for news breaks in social media, uh, that Sanhagen and Al Jermaine were going to be the two that get the title. And I think that's deserving. I also don't mind Marlon Marais, but it's like you're saying, it's such a deep division. You, you almost can't really go wrong with the top four to six guys. And I do think that Cejudo will be back. I think he's just been in combat sports since he was like six years old and competitive since he was 12 years old. And he's won, you know, at the Olympic level and now he's won at the UFC level. And I I think he's going to be back actually uh, maybe within a year or so if I had to place money on it. I just don't buy that this is a forever retirement. He just started getting a taste of those fat envelopes recently when he became a champion and I have to figure he's going to want to come back. That's just what happened to GSP. You've heard Connor say he's retired three times. Sometimes it is a mental break, and sometimes it's just negotiation. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. I think we're going to see him back. But I want to backtrack a little bit to that Aljamain Sandhagen fight because I, I was under the impression that that wasn't for a title shot because uh, I heard Peter Jan is supposed to be the one getting the title shot, and they haven't named his opponent yet. But... Uh, I, I'm not sure what corner of the internet you saw that on, but I would be all for those two getting a title shot as well. Yeah, it's always so messy when it comes to this kind of thing when a belt is in abeyance, abeyance, uh, and you got to figure out, you know, whose schedules line up, who's healthy. Sometimes it might not be the most deserving person, and that's definitely unfortunate. Like, jo- like Jose really Aldo. Like... <laughs> Ugh. Don't get me started, but that is, that's why I do like your uh, your mini tournament idea. But we know that the UFC that's not really ever high on their list of things is to promote a mini tournament, even though it would be cool. Yeah, and I you know if we, we're going back and we're talking about flyweights again, we got to remember their mini tournament was so well thought out 
and then completely botched by you know the the bad scorecards in the Mighty Mouse versus Ian McCall fight, and then having to do a rematch of that fight, and and I don't know who botched the scorecards in that one, but it, it, in all actuality, Mighty Mouse probably should have lost the first fight, and, and you know like, that's probably even more of a reason that UFC doesn't go back to that tournament format. Yeah, because it's such a bad time kicking off the flyweight division. So wouldn't that be funny for the reboot of the flyweight division if they went back to a mini tournament? Yeah, I, I would love um, to see it. And I, I actually think that this fight between Brandon Royval and Tim Elliott, despite the fact Elliott's coming off of a couple of losses here, they're, they're to Figueredo and Askar Askarov, who are the two of the top guys in the division. I, I actually think these two are two of the top eight guys in the division right now. Uh, I agree completely, and that's what makes it exciting. But I'll tell you what else is exciting. It's uh, Fights, Dogs, and Parlays, our favorite segment here on the show. It's back, and I'm so excited to be breaking down these fights for this week. We're going to give you a couple of fights, uh, our picks, but then we're going to give you a couple of dogs you could bet on and a couple of parlays. Not to pat ourselves on the back, but we're pretty good at what we do. We're typically pretty right. You can also check out Flow Combat this week, various social media posts, uh, Flow Combat itself for our picks of the week. Both of us are pretty hot and heavy towards the top of the pack. Uh, so, hey, you know what? If we did you right with your gambling this week, give us a thank you on our Twitter, at Top Turtle MMA. If we did you dirty, you can let us know that, too. Gumby, does anyone uh, sponsor Fights, Dogs, and Parlays this week? Absolutely. Fights, Dogs, and Parlays is brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you train judo, sambo, kickboxing, jiu-jitsu, it doesn't matter. They've got the martial art for you on that app, and it is the only place to track your training sessions, your competitions, your weigh-ins, and so much more. Make sure you download it wherever you download your apps. All right. Well, let's get started with a hotly contested match at 170 pounds the former champ tyron woodley is fighting gilbert burns and it really is quite impressive i think uh both these guys tyron woodley and gilbert burns and the perception of each of them because i feel like people are really writing off former champ tyron woodley we talked about this off air i know you'll get into it in a second um he obviously lost to kamaru usman via unanimous decision last year, over a year ago now, March of 2019, and it feels like he's kind of an afterthought in that division, uh, and now he's fighting a guy in Gilbert Burns who maybe wasn't on a lot of people's radar as he started climbing the ranks of 170, um, and that could just be because he didn't have a ton of, you know, highlight reel finishes, but this is a man who's on a five-fight win streak, so since losing to Dan Hooker via KO back in July of 2018... So in you know, a short time frame here, uh, less than two years, he's reeled off wins over OAM, uh, Mike Davis with a rear naked choke, that was a finish, uh, Concheco, a decision, Gunnar Nelson, a decision, and that's, that's a big feather in his cap to beat a guy like Gunnar Nelson, but he's coming off a big TKO over Damian Maya. Is Gilbert Burns real? Does he have enough to do? defeat the former champion Woodley and I would be remiss not to mention that Woodley is a minus 185 favorite Burns a plus 160 dog who you got so I want to start by saying that I do believe Gilbert Burns is real like this is a guy who is doing somewhat well at lightweight 
made the move up to welterweight, and I think that that was the right decision for him in the long run because he's cutting less weight, he looks more powerful, he's got a better gas tank, it's allowing him to use his grappling more, and it's allowing him to use that big right hand that he's been throwing too because he is surprisingly good on the feet for a guy who has spent most of his life doing jujitsu. He's even said in an interview with us before that he is falling in love with his hands now, now that he's up at welterweight, and that move was the right move for him. With that being said... I'm going with Tyron Woodley here. Uh, And and like you said, I I think a lot of people are writing him off, despite the fact he's a pretty decent favorite here, right? Like negative 185, nothing to to frown upon, right? But that is still probably not enough. We forget that this guy was not only the champ in the division, but the dominant champ in the division. This is a guy who beat Stephen Wonderboy Thompson one and a half times, right? This is a guy who beat Demian Maya brutally, right? Like absolutely wiped the floor with Demian Maya. And the only other people doing that are Gilbert Burns, which I'll give you that, and and people like Kamara Usman and and Colby Covington, the very upper echelon of the division. Did he have a bad night against Kamara Usman? Absolutely. But I think we're playing way too much into his, like, oh, he's a rapper now kind of game and thinking that he's like, doesn't care about MMA. The dude cares about MMA. The dude is a damn good fucking fighter. And in addition to that, I think he's a bad matcher for Gilbert Burns. Gilbert Burns is not going to take down Tyron Woodley. You know, Tyron Woodley has an amazing wrestling game. So we are on the feet there. And while Gilbert Burns has fallen in love with his striking, he is just like the exact carbon copy of what you would expect from Tyron Woodley. A guy who's got a big counter, throws that big hand, but he's not got the experience Tyron Woodley has playing that game, right? Tyron Woodley played that game with Robbie Lawler. You know, Gilbert Burns played that game with Demian Maia. Gilbert Burns played that game with Mike Davids. Gilbert Burns played that game with Olivier Aubon-Mercier. Like, the the people who Gilbert is playing that game with are not the same people that Tyron Woodley played that game with. And Tyron Woodley looked better doing it. I think you're going to see a stand-up war here, and I think you're going to see Woodley looking a lot better than people think he should. Uh, yeah, I mean, everything you said, you kind of took the words right out of my mouth. First of all, when a grappler uh, falls in love with his hands, that's typically the kiss of death. See Rousey, comma, Ronda. Or, or see thought, you or know, Gabriel Gonzaga. Gabriel Gonzaga is a great case study in that. And, uh, you know, Woodley happens to be one of the best strikers with a ton of power in his hands. Now watch Burns go and knock him out this weekend. <laughs> I was like an idiot. But as far as I'm concerned, unless Woodley really does have one foot out the door, which I'm sure he does, because let's also face it, he's 38 years old. Uh, he's very good in front of the camera. He does a pretty good job uh, on the pre-shows as an analyst, and then he's got a, uh, a, I guess, an emerging rap slash acting career, too. So, you know, if we come out of this weekend and he loses, uh, the narrative will clearly be, well, he's 38, which is old for that division. You know, people are typically, once you get under 185, and even 185, too, although you do have Yoel Romero there, he's like 78. But once you're in that 170 division and below, that's a young man's game. And 38 is definitely a little on the older side, so speed is going to be slowing down. But he still has tremendous power, one of the strongest guys in that division. His wrestling is top-notch. No one outside of Kamara Usman is going to take him down. Uh, So, you know, it's like you said, this fight will not be contested on the ground. Burns is not going to submit Tyron Woodley. Talk to Damian Maya about how that went for him. And I do believe Woodley has the edge in striking, both in boxing defense and power in his hands, you know, uh, knocking out Damian Maya, who is tough, and that doesn't happen to him a lot, 
it's still it, it, I would need to see Burns go out there and outstrike Wonder Boy for me to say the, the his hands have arrived on the scene. His hands are the top in the division. Uh, just TKO and Damian Maya doesn't do it for me, so I'm picking Woodley as well. Yeah, and I would have to, and you said Wonder Boy. Wonder Boy is kind of an extreme example too. I would have to see him at least outstrike somebody. Like Colby Covington, I, I know we think about Colby Covington as like a crazy grappler, but like what he did to Robbie Lawler volume-wise, if he dealt with even a volume striker like that, I would have more faith in Gilbert Burns. I just haven't seen that kind of performance from him yet, and I have seen that kind of performance from Tyrone Woodley. Augusto Sakai is uh, undefeated in the UFC. He's coming off a big KO of Marcin Tybura. He beat Andre Arlovsky via split decision. TKO Chase Sherman, TKO Marcos Conrado on Dana White Contender Series. So he's looked really good since coming to the UFC. He lost to Czech Congo on his way out of Bellator. Um, but he's going to be fighting uh, Blagoj Ivanov. And, you know, hey, we know him uh, coming from Bulgaria. He's a tough customer, uh, but he's coming off a loss to Derek Lewis via split decision. But he did beat Taitu Vasa before that, the unanimous decision, beat Ben Rothwell before that, the unanimous decision and lost to JDS in his UFC debut. So he is 2-2 two and two in the UFC. If you want to know the odds on this, Sakai is a slight favorite at minus 120, and you get Ivanov at plus 100. So Vegas doesn't really know what to make of this. What do you make of this? I think Vegas has got this right. This is a tough fight to call because both of these guys, I mean, like you can look just right at them, and they have similar builds. They look like big, hefty heavyweights. And both of them have kind of that same background where they looked really good on the regional circuit. And since coming to the UFC, anybody who's been very tough or, or like a really tough competition for them, they've struggled against. Because I, I know we're talking about Augusto Sakai being undefeated. In my opinion, he lost that fight to Andre Orlovsky. That, that's a split decision win. I think the judges got it completely wrong. In my book, I have him at 2-1. and one, Whereas, that's what I got Blago Ivanov in his last three as well. You know, a split decision loss to Derek Lewis and wins over Tai Tuivasa and Ben Rothwell. The thing I will say that helps sway me to Augusto Sakai in this one is his finishing ability, right? Like, he's got that killer instinct. He's not afraid to move forward, whereas we saw with Blagoj Ivanov, part of his issue is that he's not willing to press the action. And at heavyweight, when you're looking for a finish, you got to press that action, you know? And, and, you know, you look at his last five fights, he's got five decisions, you know, you look at his, you can go a little bit deeper than that. He did knock out Sean Jordan, but before that he had a decision win over Josh Copeland. So, you know, we're talking about, you know, five of his last six fights of decision and all of his last four and everything in the UFC is a decision. Whereas when we're looking at Augusto Sakai, apart from that fight with Andre Arlovsky, which I think he lost, we're looking at four of his last fights being knockouts, right? We talked about him knocking out Chase Sherman. He's got that knockout power with less than a minute to go in the third round. He knocked out Marcin Tybura with less than a minute into the first round. So he's got it at the beginning. He's got it at the end. And if you look back across his record, too, the dude started his career on a crazy knockout rate. The guy looks to finish all the time. And at heavyweight... I feel like that aggression goes a long way unless you are a very technical striker, something like what our Andre Arlovsky is trying to do now, where he's basically trying to point fight and save his like glass chin. Um, so for me, Augusto Sakai's extra pressure, Augusto Sakai's extra knockout power sort of gives him the edge on this one. But to be honest with you, if I was a betting man and I, I was looking to put money down on this fight, I'd skip it. I'd move on to a different fight and try to find some some value somewhere else. We'll move on to our third and final fight that we're breaking down before we get to our parlay and our dog. Mackenzie Dern is a very strong minus 430 favorite 
Uh, Hannah Cyphers is a plus 345 dog. They're both coming off of losses. Uh, Dern lost via unanimous decision to Amanda Rebus uh, back in October. And Hannah Cyphers is coming off a TKO loss to Angela Hill uh, just this past January, a few months ago. Uh, do you have any reason to pick her? Is there any path to victory for Hannah Cyphers, or is this uh, Mackenzie Dern all day? Yeah, I, I think there is a real path to victory for Hannah Cyphers. I, I think if she was able to keep the fight on her feet and sort of, uh, you know, turn this into a point fight on the feet, I think Hannah Cyphers has got a great chance at winning this. You, you remember that she is a person who has put in some very good performances. You might remember that she, she is coming off a loss to Angela Hill. Before that, she beat Jody Escabel and she beat Pollyanna Viana. In both pretty good decisions, right? And if you go back to her regional circuit, she's knocked out some people who are on contender series and stuff like that. Like, she is a good fighter. The problem here is, is that, like, when she fought Angela Hill, the physicality of Angela Hill was too much for her. The the takedown game of Angela Hill was too much for her. And if we're thinking about what Mackenzie Dern does really well, is it's kind of get into that clinch and be physical. The only thing that stopped Mackenzie Dern from winning her last fight was that she ran into Amanda Rebus, who at the time it looked like, oh, she she couldn't get this Amanda Rebus girl down. What the hell? Amanda Rebus just absolutely tooled on Brandon Marcos for three rounds, too. So, like, we are now seeing Amanda Rebus as a not only a threat at, at that division, but maybe a very near threat in that division. Like, she should be moving up very quickly. I know later in July she's got a fight booked with Paige Van Zandt, which... I think it's more for, for name value and to catapult her name into being important. But, like, she – so, you know, Mackenzie Dern, while some people wrote off that loss as kind of showing the chink in the armor, I don't think it did. I, I think you see her grappling take over here. I think you see her get back to the submission ways that she probably is is really comfortable getting. And I think you see her finishing Hannah Cyphers. Now, whether or not you think negative 430 is a little bit too high to play – that's sort of for you to guess, but I would say that if I was doing a, a DraftKings lineup or something like that, or I, I would definitely get in on Mackenzie Dern because I think she's going to finish this fight. Uh, let's get to our underdog of the week, and this is a real interesting one. Uh, Caitlin Chukagian, plus 140 against Antonina Shevchenko, the younger... Is she younger or older, actually? I think, Sister she, Shevchenko. I, I think she's the older Shevchenko. I could be wrong, but I think because she came second, I think we think of her as the younger one, but I think she's the older one. Not positive, but Caitlin Chukagian coming off the fight with Valentina Shevchenko gets Antonina Shevchenko, which is kind of a weird mixture. The difference here is that I think that I like Caitlin Chokagian in this fight because if we're talking about what made that fight so difficult against Valentina, it's that her grappling is so good, right? Valentina took her down, used some like crucifix type positions, busted her face up. Antonina is not that fighter. Antonina showed that she could not grapple with somebody like Roxanne Modafari, who I love Roxanne Modafari, but is not her sister's caliber, right? So like, if she couldn't even grapple her, she shouldn't probably be able to grapple Caitlin Chokagian here. In addition to that, Caitlin Chokagian has got really good submission defense. We saw the only thing that Antonina Shevchenko does really well on the ground is searches for submissions. We saw her pick up that submission win over Lucy Pudelova. And I think so that means this fight probably takes place or gets decided on the feet. And as far as a point fight situation, it's hard to find a person in that division in a point fight who is going to do better than Caitlin Chokagian because she puts a lot of volume on. She she does that, you know, everybody makes fun of it, but she does that loud noise every time she throws that punch. For some reason, that does really well with the judges. It'll probably do really great in an empty arena. 
So uh, I think in this case, we're probably going to see a point fight. If she's able to avoid the clinch and if she's able to avoid the ground, I think plus 140 is a really easy play here for uh, Caitlin Chokagian. The intern has confirmed that she is, in fact, the older sister, even though she came second, which is probably why some people think of her as younger, but she's actually older than the champ and number one in our hearts of the bullet, Valentina Shevchenko. Let's move on to our parlay to play. Roosevelt Roberts, minus 290. Pair him with Chris Gutierrez at minus 120. You actually get some positive odds at plus 145. So Roosevelt Roberts, Chris Gutierrez, parlay him. Why? Uh, so I, I like Roosevelt Roberts. I've always been high on Roosevelt Roberts since uh, he made his UFC debut with that crazy guillotine choke. It was a modified group guillotine choke that picked Daryl Horcher right off his feet. Since then, he's 2-1, and one, so a grand total of 3-1. and one. The only loss being to Vince Pichel, who is a, a guy who is a very, very, very tough grappler. Uh, I think not enough people give Vince Pichel chant, uh, credit for that. But he's fighting Brock Weaver, who I think is a little bit sloppier on the feet. I think his takedowns are not as nice as Vince Pichel's. And with uh, Roosevelt Roberts' submission game being as good as it is, especially defensively, you know, he's got a couple of guillotine chokes on his record, you know, three of them in a a 10-fight career, which is pretty impressive. I think if if Brock Weaver tries to take the fight to the ground, he's going to be in trouble and probably get choked out. As for the other fight, Chris Gutierrez versus Vince Morales is kind of a tough one, but my, my difference maker here is that Chris Gutierrez has got that typical factory X Muay Thai style. He's good from distance. He busts up the legs. And for me, Vince Morales is a guy who has to get inside. I think he's going to eat too many leg kicks, and it's probably going to cost him later in the fight. And in addition to that, too, you know, like I know they're using the smaller cage. I just don't see the entry there for Vince Morales. So I like pairing those two together for plus 145. I think it's a really good parlay to play. Boom. That wraps up our fights, dogs, and parlays for the week. We hope you enjoyed it because, gosh darn, did we enjoy bringing it to you. We have fights back, which is awesome because uh, we're pretty thirsty for sports and entertainment at this point in the 2020 uh, quarantine. Uh, so hit us up on our Twitter. Let us know what you think. Gumby, why don't you wrap things up and tell the fans what they need to know? And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans for tuning in each and every week because we couldn't do what we do without you guys. We also couldn't do what we do without our sponsors, Maroon Social, Battle Clan Gear, the Fight Call app, and of course, Ladder Nutrition. We want to thank Flow Combat for having us on because we couldn't be in your ears without them either. And we want to remind you to check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Top Turtle MMA. We've got all kinds of cool content going up on both of those places, so make sure you follow along in both. I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland, he's Shockwave Dave Toronto, and we will see you next week.